We do want to wish all of the moms here a happy Mother's Day. Um, and many of our, our moms have kids here, and that is a joy to see different generations here. And we have so many spiritual moms here, too, that have, have just invested in their children. So happy Mother's Day. And I, I hope that you get a chance to write something on the canvas out there, something you appreciate either about your mom or moms in general, because God has created mothers with special and unique um, skills to be able to parent and, and to nurture and to be able to be moms that, that we love and know and that are discipling their kids. Well, it's a day of celebration. We also know it's a hard day for some. It, for many years, it was a hard day for us. And, and because some of you, I know, maybe want kids or want more kids and our hearts go out with you and we pray with you. I know some of you have lost your moms this year. And so Mother's Day can be a time of remembering, but also some sadness and some grieving there. And so it's a joyous day, and it could bring a lot of other emotions. And so we pray for each other, and we encourage each other, knowing that this is part of God's design for family. A couple of years ago, I asked moms what they desired most for their kids. And you've heard me talk about this. We did a whole message on it then, and And I want to just refer back to it, but the number one thing that moms said that they wanted for their kids is that their kids would walk with God, that their kids would walk with God. And every time I say that, mom's like, yeah, yeah, go preach it, Pastor Ron. And um, because that is a, a deep desire of the heart. Now, there's all kinds of ways we can go about that, right? I have to admit, I've been guilty of quoting Proverbs 30, 17 to my kids, The eye that scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. And their eyes get really big. They're like, that's in the Bible? I'm like, yeah, that's going to happen to you if you don't obey your mother. (laughs) Don't know that that was my best strategy, but I've been guilty of it. Um, Because we want them to obey, we want them to walk with God. One town, I'm in Central Africa, the the president there, or one country actually, the president in 1971, he celebrated Mother's Day by ordering the execution of all men jailed for crimes against their mothers. That's a deterrent. (laughs) And so we, we have this sense of, okay, we want them to obey mom. Dad's right. As I talk with dads, there is nothing like dads walking in and seeing kids disrespecting mom that'll push their buttons and they'll jump all over that because we want our kids to obey. We want them to walk with God ultimately. Now today we're going to look at a text in Luke and we're going to continue in Luke, but we're going to jump ahead to a text that that falls between Mother's Day and Father's Day. We're going to use it for both Mother's Day and Father's Day. Because what what I want to think about today is that those ways, while they're sort of fun to watch your kid's eyes bug out on on being plucked out by ravens, those ways are are really tapping into fear for obedience and fear for walking with God, and they don't last. And they really don't work long term. There has to be some other motivation that drives our children to to walk with God, to to care about their spiritual walks, to love Jesus more than anything else. And Luke's going to point that out. Actually, he's going to share the words of Jesus that talk about that and talk about loving Jesus and following Jesus above all else. Now, there's going to be a couple ways that we can look at the text today. The first is it's a text for you and I. It's a text for every disciple and every Christian. And I'm equating Christian with disciple because every Christian is to be a disciple of Christ. There, there is not a dichotomy there. Sometimes I, I hear that, well, I can be a Christian and not a disciple. No, you can't. You may not be a Christian then if you don't care about discipleship. 
And we need to, to get real about that and serious about that. And so this text will, will stomp on all of our toes to evaluate our hearts, our motives, and, and where our desires, our deepest desires actually lie. But also I think it's a text that tells us what it looks like to be a disciple and gives us some ideas of how to raise our children to be disciples. How can we raise kids that love God more than us? And that's the goal here, right? Raising kids that love Jesus more than us. And he's going to word it a little bit stronger than that, and we're going to dive in and see that. But we're going to take Mother's Day and Father's Day and talk about that. And so let's jump to Luke chapter 14. Grab your Bibles and let's open them up. I want you to see it in the, the text Um, Luke chapter 14, we'll be starting at verse 25 today, take 25 through 35, and this is part one uh, of two parts. You'll have to come back on Father's Day for the second part, though, so a little bit of gap in between. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one right under a chair around you. Grab one of those. If you don't have one at home, please keep that as our gift to you. Um, It is that important for you to have God's Word. But in Luke chapter 14, 25 through 35, we're still on our way to Jerusalem. We're getting closer to Jerusalem. And as you've been hearing us talk, Jesus is teaching what does it look like to be a disciple? What does it look like to walk with God? And he's going to hit three areas in this text just real quickly, one after another. He's going to to hit relationships, self, and stuff. Relationships, self, and stuff. And what does it look like for each of those to come under discipleship to Jesus Christ, to come under the authority of Jesus Christ? And so, as I said, this is a challenge for us to look at those three areas and is, are those areas sold out for Christ? But then to be intentional about taking those three areas with our kids, saying, are their relationships sold out for Christ? Is their view of self coming under the authority of Christ? Is their view of stuff showing that they're a disciple of Christ? The text start in verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, and he's making this statement to all of them. It's an offer to all anyone who comes to Christ. And in verse 26, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, now there's a Mother's Day text, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And Jesus is making a bold statement here in a culture that valued family and valued group. Because he doesn't even end it with, he might not be my disciple. It says, he cannot be my disciple. And so right from the start, he deals with the closest and most personal relationships a human being can have. And he, he says in point number one in your notes, commitment to Jesus must far exceed devotion to family or self. Commitment to Jesus must far exceed devotion to family or self. See, disciples are called to love family less than they love God. It means giving one's first loyalty to God above all else. Nothing else takes the place of God. God doesn't share in this case. He doesn't share loyalty. He's a jealous God that expects his people to worship him alone. Because if you think about it, anything that we love most is our God. And so if I love my wife more than God, and, and I'm not conscious of that, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking, get, let's get beyond, oh, I love Jesus more than anything else. Let's get to, okay, what do we actually put into practice, what's real in our hearts? If I love my wife more than, than God, then she is my God. 
If I love my kids more than God, then they are my God. And so this makes a lot of sense. Jesus said, you, you have to love me more. Otherwise, those other things are your God. Our father, our mother can be gods to us. And I've got to say, all of those other relationships, all of those human relationships are fallible. They're with imperfect people. You're going to be disappointed at times. There's going to be angry words at times because people make lousy gods. And people make lousy objects of our devotion and, and ultimate affection. They're great objects of affection and love, but our ultimate affection and love needs to be reserved for God Almighty. Now, the wording he uses there is, is, is strong. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father or mother, and, and I really don't want us to going away saying, Pastor Ron said we should hate moms on Mother's Day. You have to understand how hate is used. And, and hate is used in, in Jewish thought, and, and it's, it's a Semitic idiom that means to love less. And so it's a, it's a, a way of comparing two different loves. We know Jesus didn't literally say to, to hate here. Because we've already studied in Luke 6, love your enemies. We've already studied, honor your father and mother. And so we know that that we've got to understand what's going on here. Jesus is saying, love them less. It's, It's a statement of comparison. Compared to our love for God, everything else falls at the bottom of the scale. Not even close is what Jesus is saying. That's how much we should love and be devoted and sold out. For God. Leon Morris said, the love the disciple has for him must be so great that the best of earthly loves is hatred by comparison. Does that make sense? So he's not saying go hate your mom. And, and in your Mother's Day card, say, Mom, happy Mother's Day, I hate you. <laughs> Don't go there. That's not good. It won't be received well. They may not understand what the text is. But, but it's literally saying compared to the all-surpassing love we should have for Jesus Christ. Every other relationship is is bottom of the scale. It's nothing. He's not saying we shouldn't love one another. That's all through the New Testament. It's all through Christ's teaching. But we see a, a, a gradation here of loves. Matthew 10 talks about the same thing. In Matthew 10, 37 through 39, uh, a companion passage. Whoever loves father or mother more than me, and you see it worded in a little different way so we understand the meaning here. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And so Jesus is saying it's, it's an issue of scale. Do you love Jesus more? Genesis 29 is another example of that. Jacob with Rachel and, and Leah. And it, it says that, that he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he, he, so he loved Leah less. And then the next verse, it says that because of her, because she was hated, God blessed her with children. And so it's, it's not that she was hated that he despised her, but he loved her less. So if we're to apply that as disciples, we have to say intentionally, do I have any other relationship that is more important to me than God? Do I have any other love that is stronger than my love for Christ? And maybe a question that we can use to to help us understand this and sort of decipher in our head if we're getting past just what we say sometimes and the good Christian statements is to say, if I was forced to choose, who would I choose? Because when we're forced to choose, that often narrows down what we love most. If I have to choose between my kids and Jesus, who would I choose? 
Okay, that gets real serious real fast. That's, that's a hard one. It's easier to say if I had to choose between my life and following Jesus. Man, I'd follow Jesus. But think of the other loves in your life. Do we love Jesus so much that we would choose him over them? Cuts to the heart. And that's what Jesus is trying to do here is cut to our heart. And this is the only time as parents that we can teach our kids to be haters. To love people less than God. We just have to be careful to really nuance that well for them (laughs) and to explain that. And Jesus goes, he lists a whole number of relationships. Father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even his own life. He's, He's listing everything we hold dear to show the seriousness of this statement. We don't want to water this down by saying, oh, we should just like Jesus a lot. This is a bold statement that says disciples of Christ love him most, period. And it is amazing to walk with Christ in that way, with that kind of love and that kind of passion. See, throughout this text, we're going to see Jesus talking about wholehearted commitment. He doesn't want half-hearted disciples. He doesn't want people on the fence that maybe live for him sometimes and, and don't live for him. He wants wholehearted disciples, a complete commitment. Because if you think about commitment, half commitment isn't commitment. If, if I say I'm committed half the time to go into work, your boss is not going to see that as commitment. He's going to see that as an opportunity to make a change. If I tell my wife I'm fully committed to you and I'll spend half my time with you and half the time with my other family, she's not going to view that as commitment. But we do this to God by dividing our loyalties there can only be one first, and it needs to be Jesus. Think about how we act sometimes in our Christianity. Sometimes we base what we do on our, what's convenient, on what's easy, on what we feel like. But devotion is a complete commitment to Christ. Jesus includes not just relationships with others, but self. And that's going to go into the next point, saying we have to love Jesus more than self. And I love what C.S. Lewis wrote on this. He says, the Christian way is different. Christ says, give me all. I I don't want just so much of your time and so much of your money and and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment the natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the truth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self all the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked. The whole outfit. And so verse 26 is saying, in our relationships and in our relationship to self, we're to love Christ more. Our commitment to Jesus must far exceed devotion to family or self. Now in each of these, you see in the second part of each section, there's a parenting implication. So how do we pass this on to our kids? How do we teach our kids this? And this is where it gets difficult because some of these things, there is no magic formula to. And so if you're coming today thinking, okay, we're going to get five easy steps to be perfect parents and I guarantee my kids will walk with Christ above all else. I'd be lying to you because we, we, we aren't God. We can't make that guarantee. But there's things out of this that we can think about and practical implications. Okay, what do we do as parents? And and the parenting implication here is we need to show, show our kids how to love Jesus more than anything else through our choices, motives, and words. We need to show our kids how to love Jesus 
more than anything else through our choices, motives, and words. And they'll see all of those things. The choices we make, how we spend our time, will help them understand what we love, what we care about. The motives, how we talk about why we do things and being transparent with why we do things will help them learn how to love Jesus most. Our words, how do we talk about Jesus? How do we talk about him? A couple of of bullet points that aren't in your notes. You can just just think about them or or listen to them. How do we do this? Some practical suggestions for helping our kids see a love for Christ. Uh, The first is make your kids' love for Jesus your top parenting priority. And and I can't underestimate this, but it's it's something that took a while to get my head around. But make your, your kids' love for Jesus your top parenting priority. Okay, this is number one on the list. All else falls under it. When I talk to parents, we have all kinds of parenting priorities, right? We want to raise good kids. We want to raise nice kids. We want kids that are going to do great in school. We want kids that are, are going to be great in sports. I have a deal with Jeffrey. I get a second year MBA salary. And um, second's going to be more than first, I, think. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, we joke about these things because we have dreams for our kids. We have hopes for our kids. But in reality, those things are all secondary to what our primary motivation needs to be, our primary purpose. Moms, dads, you get up in the morning, you might need to look at each other and say, okay, our purpose today is to help our kids love Jesus more. And that covers the other things. Quite frankly, if we do that well, it takes care of a lot of the other things. I, I don't even, uh, my, this, this can take different forms as I try to get my words, but I don't even want my kids, my primary goal to be that I want them to like church. I want them to love Jesus. And if they love Jesus more, the whole church thing is going to work itself out. If they love Jesus more, how they treat others is going to work itself out. Now, I'm not saying we don't train on those things. And, and we have stuff of everyday life that we are teaching our kids and, and how to be godly young men and women. But as parents, to change our purpose to say, my primary purpose, my primary priority is for them to love Jesus. That is core. Then that will change how we parent. It will change the things we discipline. It will change what we talk about while we're disciplining. It will, it will help us work to develop a heart that is sold out for Jesus. Interesting, Hughes says this, some of us love our wives, husbands, and children more than we love God. I'm thinking of this in terms of an example as parents. Some of us love our wives, husbands, and children more than we love God. We miss the mark when we put their development athletically, intellectually, culturally, artistically, socially before their spiritual well-being. We fall short when we spend more time in the car in one day shuttling them to games and lessons than we do in a month in prayer for their souls. See, what we do with our time shows our real priorities. And we can say, I want my kids to love Jesus more. But what do our priorities, what does our use of time show? This can be a challenge. When you have little kids, they don't get this yet. They love mommy and daddy, and then they go through the stage where they're going to marry mommy and daddy. And, 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 and you're going through this process of then taking that love and showing that a love for Jesus is so much better. 
And it's so much sweeter. And it's what we were designed for by our Creator. We need to make that our top priority. Number two of practical things here under these parenting implications. We need to tell our kids we want them to love Jesus more. We need to, to tell them it's okay that they love Jesus more than us. That, that, that's good. That's okay. Because they may be like, well, I don't know. I'm supposed to love mom and dad most. But they need to know it's okay. And they need to see us talk about that. They need to see us practice and model that in our other relationships. And so part of it is telling them it's okay to love Jesus more. Praising them for times that they put Jesus first. Praising them when we see that heart that is sold out for Christ. There is nothing like a young heart that discovers a passion for Jesus Christ. It just makes me smile and cry all at the same time. Let them know you'd rather see them serve than spend time with you. or, Or clean up around the house. That you'd rather them serve Jesus. Now that can be serving Jesus too. But with chores, we can get so locked into this list that we forget the heart behind them. Tell your kids you want them to love Jesus more. Another, another thought here, what your kids see you love most will usually be what they love most. What your kids see you love most will usually be what they initially love most. Now, now, chances are, I'm going I'm to use Pastor Andrew as an example here. Your kids, for whatever reason, say they love the A's. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to train them differently. It's not working. Why? Because they see that he loves the A's. Now, he loves the A's less than Jesus, so I'm not, I'm not saying that, that this is too much of a, a love here. But they're, they're watching mom and dad, and what mom and dad love, they love. My kids love the Dodgers and hate the Giants. And it's right. <laughs> How have I instilled that in them? <laughs> By hating the Giants and loving the Dodgers. They hear me talk about it. They, they see that I watch Dodger games. They see what I get excited about, what I get passionate about. Those things that I love, I am passing on to my kids initially. Now, they may change and go their own way, although on that, you better not. But, um, <laughs> but we have these things that we pass on. Are we passing on that same excitement and passion for Jesus? That's the question. And it depends on how much we talk about Jesus. How much we get excited when someone comes to Christ. How... how how we get excited about reading His Word and maybe we can share with our kids, hey, this is what I read today. This is what God's teaching me. And, and yeah, moms and dads, you can tell your kids that you're still learning, that you don't have it all together, that God's teaching you things. And in so doing, we're showing them that we love Jesus more. And if we love Jesus more, there's a, a much greater chance they're going to catch that and that they're going to love Jesus more. You know, my, my kids and I, and I've mentioned this before, we have this tradition at bedtime and depends, as they get older, it depends on where we're all at as a family, but it's called I love you more. And, and we'll say, I love you more than, than Dr. Pepper. I love you more than the Dodgers. A couple of weeks ago, I, it, was, it was great. I got an I love you more than Fortnite. And, and half of you know what that means. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in. Um, <laughs> and, but we always end with, but I don't love you more than Jesus. 
I don't love you more than Jesus. And, and it's a silly little thing, but with our words, we're trying to teach and we're trying to reinforce that it's okay to love Jesus most. most. It's good. And I, I want them to see a passion for Jesus in my heart. It's why I love sitting back with my family during worship. I want them to hear me sing. I want them to hear me worship. And then when their voices join in, man, it does something for my heart like not nothing else. What are we showing our kids? See, one side note that with this, moms and dads, with what we love and what we're showing, it is so easy when we have kids to make our kids the center of our universe and our primary love, right? Because your whole life, is, you're just trying to keep them alive at first, and that's cool, but, but they, they become our whole center, and, and there are times that our kids, well, most kids come out thinking they're the center of the universe already, and there are times that our love for our kids might actually keep them from a love for God because they think it's greater than our love for God. We need to think about that as moms and dads. Are we teaching them to love Jesus most, even with how we parent, how we treat them, how we love them? Best way to love your spouse and kids, don't love them as much as you love God. That's the best way to love them. A couple of other thoughts on this, and then I know we're spending a lot of time on the first point. That's good. We have two parts. Um, Be consistent in worship with church family. Be consistent in worship with church family. I was talking to a mom this week, and she was sharing that, that... the, the older her kids get, the more important she sees this item as. And I think she's right. See, when we are consistent as a family with church worship, with being with God's people, then we are showing our kids what we love. We are showing them a heart for Christ. We're making church and we're making God's people a priority. When we lose consistency with this, when we lose consistency with church, with God's people, we're starting on a slippery slope. Not only are we, we violating Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, but we are showing our kids that other things might be just as important. Now, we need to be careful to combine this with talk about the heart because it's not just about showing up in church and I'm a good Christian. But if we love Jesus, we will love worshiping him. And we will love being with his people. If, if we have a, have a problem coming to church, whether it be any church, if we have a problem with worship, it's a heart problem that, that reflects our love for Christ. And our kids are not dumb. Our kids see that from the youngest age. Be consistent in worship and with church family. It shows our love for Christ. Last thought on on this section, we need to remember to instruct the heart, not just the behavior. We need to remember to instruct the heart, not just the behavior. This makes a difference of how we word things. And and, and yes, we want our kids to behave. And there are times that you just have to have them behave. And you don't have time for a 30-minute discussion as they're heading for the street or as they're, you know. And so there's times where, yes, we do focus on behavior. But we need to make sure that there's significant, consistent times where we are addressing the heart. We were saying, so, so what in your heart made you say that to mommy? I've calmed down enough. What in your heart made you say that to mommy? How can Jesus help with that? Do you see how that's sin and that the raven's going to pluck out your... No, that's... 
but are we getting to the heart of things with our kids? You know, we, we, can, we can give two different approaches to Christianity, and I've seen both of them in my years of youth ministry. We can have approach, an approach that says, you just have to do it because the Bible says it and God makes you. Or we can have an approach that says, the Bible is, is, and God's commands are His loving action to us to show us how to thrive as human beings, to show us how to live in a way that is good and right and joyful and wonderful. And then we help them understand that obeying is an act of joy and it's an act of love for Christ rather than something we dread because we have a mean dictator that's trying to beat us over the head if we get out of line. We need to help them see that joy. Now, moms, dads, we model this as well by not being arbitrary in our requests, in our demands. But, But founding the principles of our home and what we discipline in our instruction in biblical truth rather than just, I don't feel like that today or that bugs me. We need our kids to see that love for Christ in everything we do. Sort of ending point number one, I want to end it with a question, a little bit of a challenge if you have enough guts to do this. Who would your parents, who would your kids say you love most? Or what would your kids say you love most? And think about that. But if I was to go to your kids today and ask them, what does mommy or daddy love most? What would they answer? And I'm not going to do that. They're not over in kids' men right now doing that. But, but I want you to think about that because that might be the, the surest way of understanding what we're communicating to our kids. And would you dare to go home today or tomorrow and ask your kids that question as moms and dads. Maybe one at a time, maybe all together, whatever works for your family. But would you go to them and say, hey, if you had to sum it up, what would you say dad loves the most? And see what they say. And use that as a corrective. Use that as an eye-opener. Now, there are times they may answer things because they're not thinking, Jesus, I, I, I understand all that. This isn't foolproof. But it, it helps us start a conversation that then can lead to, I want you to know I love Jesus more. I, I love Jesus more than anything else. You know, my kids might on some days say, I think he loves mommy most. And I want them to know I love mommy. But I want them to know I love Jesus more. So if you dare... Ask your kids that, even if they're grown kids. Ask them and see what they say. And don't get mad at them for what they say. (laughs) Point number two as we go on. That was all in verse 26. Point number two. The first one dealt with relationships. This one deals with self. self. A disciple will be willing to die to self for the joy of following Jesus. A disciple will be willing to die to self for the joy of following Jesus. Die to our wants, our desires, our comforts, our time, our control, our reputation. We'll die to self for the joy of following Jesus. We'll read in verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There's there's that strong wording again. Cannot be my disciple. And he'll go into a couple of examples here that we'll get to in a minute. 
But the principle here is if we're not willing to bear our own cross and come after him, we can't be our disciple. And, and again, that's not language we use. But remember, the cross was an instrument of execution for the Romans. And one of the traditions, and we see this in Jesus a little bit later when he's in Jerusalem, is the accused would actually carry the crossbeam of the cross to the execution site through town, and, and they, would, they would have him go through as many of the populated streets and the, the crowded areas as you could because that would embarrass them and that would shame them. And so to bear your cross means to accept death to self. It means dying to self. It means accepting the shame of Christianity and living for God, the shame that might be in a fallen world. And it means wholeheartedly coming after Christ. It's self-denial. It's being willing to be humiliated, willing to take the fallout from following Christ. And so Jesus said, if you're not willing to die to self, to embrace me and embrace God's will, no matter what, no matter what anyone else thinks, you're not a disciple. You can't be my disciple. And so we see the cross as we take up our cross we, we see elements of identification with Christ here. Are we every day identifying with Christ? Are we bold with our faith? Are we direct with our faith? Or do we live differently on Sunday than we do Monday or th- Monday through Friday? Or are we consistent that people know we're saved? They know the values we stand for. They know we're not going to fudge the numbers at work, that we're not going to do something that is illegal at work, that... that Our families know that the mom and dad that worshipped and sang the wonderful songs on Sunday aren't going to, out of the same mouth, spew all kinds of stuff on Monday that's displeasing to God. Are we willing to die to self and daily live for Christ? I, I love this one on Mother's Day because I think moms are such a great example of this. Moms, and you think about all that you hear about moms. I've probably heard five times, five, six times this week, mom's willing to still serve her family when she's sick. Yeah, there's no sick days for being a mom, right? And I haven't heard a mom, you know, calling in sick when her kids are going hungry. She gets up and she sacrifices for her family. What a great example of dying to self for Christ. Say, I'm going to count the cost and I'm going to follow Christ no matter what. A disciple will be willing to die to self for the joy of following Jesus, to bear his own cross and follow him. You know, if we're, when we think of parenting, part of this is teaching our kids that they're not the center of the universe, but to show them how to sacrifice and stand up for Jesus. Do our kids see us sacrificing things we want? things that we feel to, to follow Jesus. And, and moms, dads, I would say be sure, and, and this can vary at different ages, be sure to be helping your kids experience sacrifice. Not with a gleeful, <laughs> but, but help them have opportunities to experience sacrifice for Christ. You know, what can they miss to serve? Maybe they have to miss a, a really cool birthday party to come serve at Second Harvest or or maybe the neighbor's in need and they, they miss doing something they want or playing a game they want to go bake a cake or to, to take some food to a neighbor in need. These are things that teach sacrifice at, at a younger level to teach dying to self. Your kids can, can participate in faith promise. 
And maybe it's a nickel. Maybe it's a dime. Maybe as they get older, it's a dollar. But are, they, are you teaching them that it is of great value and of great joy to sacrifice self to follow Jesus because he's worth it? Because he is greater and we love him and our love for him is greater. Now, I love seeing the kids that bring, to- bring some of their own toys for the Iwana store. Or that when we've gone to the orphanage in Santa Marta, that they bring their own toys to, to give. And you know what? They don't always think it's sacrifice because they see the bigger picture sometimes. They teach us. We need to teach them they're not the center of the universe. There was a, a meme going around. I think on Joshua it was sent to you. So I'll just... Um, it was on your page. So it, was, it wasn't about you, but it was on your page. It said, Mom, I just wanted to tell you that Mother's Day wouldn't be possible without me. I'll be waiting for my present in the living room. (laughs) What an example of turning things around to be about us. (laughs) And our kids think this way. They're little sinners. It's okay to call them that. That's what they are. And our job is to train them that they need Jesus and they need the gospel and they need his forgiveness and they need his power to live. But this is how our kids think a lot of times. So are we helping them think differently through sacrifice and through giving them opportunities to sacrifice? Jesus gives a couple of examples here. The first in 28 through 30 is the example of the tower. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. That probably was a really serious mock. I don't know. It sounds like, oh, okay. Um, But you get this picture of a big project, a building project, and they didn't count the cost. They didn't wholeheartedly go in and make sure that they had the ability to go in. And it gets half done. I know Pastor AJ, when he was preaching, referenced the building on, on Euclid and Garden Grove Boulevard. It's like the albatross of Garden Grove. Because it's just this shell of a building that they ran out of money, they couldn't finish it, and now they can't even get somebody to take it down because it would cost more than they would get in scrap. And so this building is just sitting there rusting. That's the kind of thing Jesus is talking about. It, it's, we, every time we go by it, the kids are like, what's that? We're like, ah, someone didn't have enough money. And it's sort of this, this joke. We mock them. And Jesus is saying, if we don't go all in in our faith, if we're half-hearted Christians because we haven't counted the cost, we haven't been willing to die to self, I don't want to give up this area of my life to God, we are making a mockery of Christianity. This is a serious, serious warning from Jesus. Saying, don't make a mockery of faith. Don't make a mockery of walking with God. Half-hearted disciples are a monument of shame to the gospel. Because it's not what Jesus intended. It's not what walking with Jesus looks like. So we need to be sold out and willing to die to self. The second example he gives there, starting in 31, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And the picture is a king looking out at, at war and you see the other army coming. They have twice as many men. And, and the idea is, let's stop and think first. Maybe it's not a good idea. 
maybe ten, maybe we'll get just slaughtered and wiped out. And so this guy stops and thinks, and it says, will he not deliberate and figure it out in verse 32? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. We're good. What can we do? Let's be friends. Because he sees, sees the cost. And so Jesus is giving two examples here of counting the cost, of looking ahead, of, of stopping and thinking and saying, can I be a disciple? Can I be all in? Now, the second one's interesting because I think we have to be careful not to, to just equate the two examples. The second one's interesting because I think it makes sense to think of the, the, the first one is the, the choice to build. The second one is an army attacking. And, and I think it makes sense to think of that army coming in as Jesus and his claims for the gospel. And we're living our lives and, and we have our 10,000 and going forward. And, and the idea is that we look and say, no, I can't win against Christ. I can't win in this world. I, my attempts to resist Christ and resist the gospel and live life on my own don't work. And so I need to go and make peace with God. And I need to go and give myself to him and surrender. You know, some scholars think that's how you take it, some don't. I think that just makes a whole lot of sense in this case. Because the thing is, we live in a fallen world, right? We know this. We lived in a messed up, screwed up world. We're raising kids in a fallen world. And on our own, that sin and our own fallenness has driven us away from Christ. And has driven a wedge between us and God that we cannot overcome. It's like 10,000 armies going up against 20,000. No chance. And we deserve death for that. We deserve eternity in hell because we have defied an infinite God with our sin. But this reminds us that God has given us a way for peace with him. And he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to take the penalty for my sin. To, to, to pay the price that I should have had to pay. That if I go to him and accept him and give my life to him, now in Romans 5 it says we have peace with God. We have relationship with God. And so this, this passage reminds me of the incredible offer that's made to everyone. You can have peace with God. You don't have to live as an enemy of God. Discipleship, yes, it's wholehearted, it's sold out, but it's fantastic and the Holy Spirit indwells us and helps us do that. It is the best way to live life. I encourage you, if you've never thought about the claims of Christ, talk to me afterwards. Because repenting and living our lives for Christ is the greatest thing ever. We love Him more. Number three there. Stuff. He's dealt with relationships. He's dealt with self. Now he's going to deal with stuff. And we get to verse 33, and point number three is be willing to relinquish everything to God by using anything we have for the kingdom. Be willing to relinquish everything to God by using anything we have for the kingdom. Verse 33, Jesus says, So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Third time he's used that phrase. He's dealing with different aspects. We have to surrender to God to be his disciple. Any of you that does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And, and the wording here is a continual renouncing. It's, 
It's a continual giving up and giving over to God. It's seeing that God is the owner of all that we have, yielding the right of ownership to every penny I make, to my house, to my cars, to the the stuff that I've accumulated. God owns it. It's his. I renounce it. I give it up to God. And it's a, it asks the question, are we willing to give up everything for Christ? Same as, as the first point. Are we willing to love him most, but now are we willing to give up everything for Christ? What would be hard to give up? You know, and, and you can think of stuff, you can think of other things we hold on to, um, but really we, we talked about relationships in point one. But there are things in our lives that become so important to us that maybe we'd be willing to give up for Christ, but we're not willing to give over to Christ. We're not willing to use for the kingdom. And, and again, he's, he's condemning half-heartedness here. He says, everything you have, renounce it. Release your claim on it and say it's his. You know, what would be hard for you to release to someone else in the body of Christ to use for the kingdom? Many of you have been willing to give your cars to, to different ministries. Or to let us use, I guess give. Let us use your cars for different ministries. That's a great example of doing this. Renouncing what you have and letting it be used for the kingdom. As parents, our kids see that. Our kids see what's important to us by what we hold with a closed hand and what we hold with an open hand. There, there may be time. Mark, Mark's already talking about driving. We're getting there. And I said, you, you're not driving my car. You can drive mom's. <laughs> You're not driving my car. And he's like, yeah, I am, Dad. <laughs> so we have a little ongoing debate there. But in, in so doing, I'm making a distinction, right, of what I hold closed and what I hold open. And so for me, I have to say, would I be willing to let anyone in the church borrow either of our cars? Would I be willing to really renounce my claim on my stuff and let it be used for the kingdom? Do I yield all to Christ? Or am I holding on to things? And, and, and I think we can go beyond things here and say, am I holding on to thoughts and concepts? Am I holding on to the illusion of control? That I have control over my life. That I have final control over what happens every day. Or am I willing to relinquish control to a sovereign God who's able to do anything and, and has my good in mind. I know that may be an unfair way to put it, but it's an accurate way to put it. But we hold on to control. We can hold on to, we're talking about parenting, we can hold on to control with how we raise our kids. I want them to turn out for God so much that am I, am I going to control every aspect and hope I get it right and then blame myself if I don't? Do I have the illusion that I can control how my kids turn out? And we can't. We can follow God's word, but then we trust in an almighty God. And so I I think a great way to to combat the illusion of control and, and to hold too tightly to control is with an active prayer life. Because prayer is an... Prayer is a statement that says, I'm depending on you, God. I can't do this on my own. I don't have control of this. And so as parents, are we on our knees praying for our kids? Pleading for our kids' souls. 
praying for them to love Jesus more every day. By so doing, we're showing a dependence on God more than any other technique or any other skill. Do I show my kids an act of dependence on God throughout the day by praying for all kinds of things that come up? Do my kids see me say, let's just stop and pray because we need to give this to God. We need to trust God. We sang this morning, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. So how are we going to show that to our kids? Primary way is through prayer and showing a dependence on prayer. The parenting principle there, watch to make sure your kids are not holding too tightly to things and valuing them above Jesus. Watch to make sure your kids are not holding too tightly to things and valuing them above Jesus. As we we wrap up this third one, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. We've seen Jesus make bold, bold, bold statements about relationships, about dying to self, and about stuff or things we hold dear. And if I had to sum up thinking through some of the the parenting principle here, I, I would give a warning to say, don't sell your kids an easy form of Christianity. Don't sell them Uh, an easy, half-hearted Christianity. It's okay to tell them God wants our all. God wants our heart. He wants everything we have. He wants our our, our lives. But it's so easy to to convince our kids, well, if you just do a couple good things and come to church and, hey, Awana, then you're really in. And we sell a half-hearted, weak Christianity. Don't sell, don't sell your kids short. They, they can follow God. They can follow Him with their whole heart. But what kind of Christianity are we showing them? We're going to stop there today. We're going to get second half. We're going to get the last two verses and then some other thoughts about parenting on, on Father's Day. But are you teaching your kids to love God more? Love God more than you. Do we love God more than anything else? Don't forget to ask your kids that question if you have kids. Who do I love? What do I love? And see what they answer. Let me pray. Lord God, we we love you. We are passionate for you. And Lord, forgive us when we're not. Every one of us has areas that we have held out from you, that, that we still let sin to rule. Help us to find those and to root those out and to give those to you to let you change us, every part of us. Lord, I pray that even on Mother's Day when we're celebrating our love for our moms, that we would remember to love you more. And that our loves for our moms are just a taste of what it means to love you. And and what we appreciate about them is just a taste of what you've done for us. Allow a day of celebrating like today to drive us closer to you. Lord, I do pray for our kids. We have so many littles in this church. And I pray that they would be sold out for you, that they would be learning to love you more than anything else. That their little hearts would challenge us as they are devoted to you and can think of nothing else but to worship and serve the King of the universe. Thank you for the blessings you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.